It is good to be in L.A. So you can get your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. You're the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure it's a monkey. But aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today. I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that like people actually watch this show, I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Welcome, everyone, to the seventh episode of Watching Mates. I'm your host this week, Lars Emerson, and I am joined by the majestic Michael Levito. Oh, majestic. That's nice. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. You know who we are. This is our podcast hosted by thepostwriter.com in which we explore trends in film and cinema under each post-war president. As we go from episode to episode, president to president, Mike and I are each choosing a film to capture the zeitgeist of that administration on the silver screen. And in this episode... We're talking about America's 39th president, Jimmy Carter. Woo! James Earl Carter to you. Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer and the former governor of Georgia. He defeated Gerald Ford for the presidency in 1976 after emerging as a dark horse candidate in the 1976 primary. In office, Carter pardoned Vietnam War draft dodgers and oversaw the establishment of the Departments of Energy and Education. He pursued the Camp David Accords, Strategic Arm Limitation, and Panama Canal Treaties. Later in his term, he faced significant and kind of untimely, he's kind of an unlucky guy, uh, difficulties, mm-hmm. uh, such as the energy crisis as gas prices skyrocketed, stagflation in the United States, the Three Mile Island nuclear accident, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, and the 1980 boycott against the Olympics which were hosted by the Soviets at the time. And then, of course, there was the Iran hostage crisis, mostly as a result of all this bad timing, not necessarily Carter's own policies, with the exception of, you know, the 1980 uh, boycott, though many other nations did the same. He had to fight back a nasty primary against Ted Kennedy uh, in 1980 and ultimately lost re-election to Republican Ronald Reagan in the general election that year. He's definitely someone who has, however, been rehabilitated by his post-presidential activities, I would jest. Uh, I would say perhaps more so than any other president I could name, but that's kind of a bit out of the scope of this podcast. But I don't know. Would that be fair to say, Mike? I think so. I, like, I think a big part of that is that he has had, I believe, the longest post-presidency of any president. Yeah. You know, he's... In his, he's in his 90s now, but I mean, he was he was relatively young when he was elected and when he left office, so he had a lot of time to do things. I mean, he did win a Nobel Peace Prize after, he right? Let, like, I think over in like 2002, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a long time after he left office. Yeah, I think generally, again, perceived as sort of, um, I think people are like, ah, oh, Jimmy Carter, he seems like a nice guy, even if they don't necessarily think he was a very good president. Yeah. Um, He's done a lot of really good things post presidency. Yeah, I think he's like he comes up as like fairly genuine, like a humanitarian. Maybe he was not cut out to be president. You could maybe make that argument, but he was also, again, like you said, profoundly unlucky, yeah. and I think just not able to focus on the kinds of things he wanted to focus on. And I think, in a way, I don't know. I, we talked about this a little bit on the Running Mates podcast, and again, we don't have to spend too much time on it. But it's like, do you think he would be considered like maybe our most liberal president? Like recently, like post LBJ, I guess. I don't know about now. I think. Well, that's true. Yeah. I think you yeah. could make a case for Biden, though I don't think Biden would make that case. And I would not describe Biden as particularly liberal. 
But, but I don't think Jimmy Carter was like I, I don't see him as a crusading progressive either. Actually, no. he's our only evangelical president, in fact. That um, is true. It, it is like kind of remarkable how personally conservative he was. Mm-hmm. And he, he was he was considered a moderate when he was running in the primary, too. But I, I, I guess what I think is I think from a personality perspective, I think people concerned to be liberal. Right? I feel like he has the personality yeah. of like a high school guidance counselor. Which well, is not necessarily a bad thing, but it could maybe be a problem when you're president. <laughs> he, he has the personality that he actually cares and like yeah. gives a shit about if people are like suffering. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he just has like a very deep empathy that I think you don't often see. Felt like he was a bad administrator and a bad manager. But like I, like we said, that may have just been terrible luck. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's hard to... When you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forge peace in the Middle East. It's very hard to do that when a bunch of people get kidnapped in Iran. Like, it's right. just like, you know. And, and I mean, not to dwell on the Iran hostage crisis so much, but like they literally let the hostages go when Reagan took office. Like, <laughs> yeah. it was clearly just timed, like, to Carter's detriment. And there's not really anything he could have done about that, right? I don't know. Probably not, no. His legacy is better than his presidency. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So there's your brief overview, in case you needed a refresher on Jimmy Carter. Now, once again, the rules of our podcast dictate that Mike and I each had to choose a film that came out within that president's administration, give or take one year. In Carter's case, that is films coming out starting in 1976 and through 1981, which is the year in which Carter was succeeded by Ronald Reagan. Let's dive right in. What film did you choose for Carter, Mike? I chose Rocky, which is a 1976 film directed by John G. Avildsen, written by Sylvester Stallone, which I didn't realize he wrote it all by himself. And <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> it does. And starring starring Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, and Burgess Meredith. Rocky, if you've not if you're not familiar with it, is the story of a boxer named Rocky the Italian Stallion Balboa, who's just this kind of like small time boxer slash leg breaker for the mob who lives in Philadelphia and who uh, basically have, there's going to be this big title fight in Philadelphia between Apollo Creed, the reigning heavyweight champion and some other guy. And the other guy has to pull out or he's disqualified or something. And so he's like, well, I still have to make all this money from the fight. What do I do? He's like, I know I'll pick an amateur and fight him. It'll be this great spectacle. He picks Rocky and the movie is basically about Rocky training for this fight. He wants to go the distance with Apollo Creed, which no one else has done um, his massive underdog status and then the various sort of personal dramas that come with him training, notably his romance with Adrian, who is the sister of his friend Polly, and the sort of like chip on the soldier that his his trainer Mickey has. You had never seen this movie, Lars, right? What what did you think of it? I I had not. I I think I hate the guy Rocky. I, I was actively rooting for <laughs> Apollo Creed literally the entire time. Well, Apollo Creed is like made out to be like a messiah and like an awesome guy. And well, Rocky I, is just I, I like very he's annoying. Like he's like, he's like, I just love America and I love right. its people. And it's like, I'm going to give everyone a chance. That's the American dream. It's like Apollo Creed is way more. He feels more patriotic than Rocky does. Because Rocky just feels like, yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> he, Rocky, I think, is actually incredibly annoying in this movie. Yeah. And, and it's it, I think it's a Sylvester Stallone thing. Sylvester Stallone is just incredibly annoying. He should have won an Oscar for Creed. I will maintain that. But he's still no, he's very good in Creed. Yeah, but uh, I had actually seen Creed. It's the only Rocky film I've seen. <laughs> but because and what I think part of the annoying part is, and we can kind of like this kind of ties into Jim Carlo, is like 
is the lengths that Sylvester Stallone goes to try to make him charming, right? Yeah. It, he, he tries to be so ingratiating that it just becomes like, like the park lecturing the one girl about like, you know, because it's like there's like those kids who like hang out by the liquor store who I guess Rocky occasionally buys bottles of wine. Right. Or they always ask him to buy a bottle of wine. And there's this one girl who always hangs out with them. He's like, you know, you can't hang out with these guys. People are going to think you're a whore, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and, and like, weirdly walks her home. Exactly. Yeah. And you're just like, why am I like this? Like this, this scene solely exists for you to think like, oh, man, Rocky, what, what, a, what a guy who's just going to pull people aside and sort of like, you know, just just I don't know. Just tell them what they need to hear, I guess. And I think there's another Sylvester Stallone movie. I don't remember what it's called, but he does like a similar thing. Yeah. And he does something like he like lectures somebody on like the dangers of smoking or something like that in the movie. But it's like an action movie. So, yeah, I think he's annoying. But this movie is just so goddamn American, right? It's supposed to be like a latter-day, like, Frank Capra movie, right? And all the good things and bad things that, that comes with that, right? It's supposed to be kind of like a corny, all-American underdog who can do. He does ultimately end up losing the fight. It's decided in a split decision. Apollo is technically the winner. But he, but damn it, he goes all the way. He goes the distance, um, he's not he's not content to just make it a show. He's going to make an actual fight and he's making Apollo work for the title. When Creed designs his whole like whatever competition this is going to be, he even says like it's very American. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like, yeah, just the super American kind of vibe. It, it is. That's what almost made me think of this as kind of more of a. Obviously, it's ineligible for Reagan, but I, I get more of a Reagan sense from some parts of this. See, I disagree, though, because I think with Reagan, and we'll talk about this in our Reagan episode, is I think with Reagan, it is about the sort of like, there's a specific idea. It's idealistic, but in another way, right? Reagan stri- Reaganism strives for like perfection, right? And it's like, America is sort of like, you know, a suburb with perfectly manicured lawns and two, and you know, each family is having 2.5 kids. And it's this very specific thing. What I think Rocky does, it's like, no, actually, like, America is these, like, very just basically just, like, white trash people, right? You know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's an ode. The first, like, half of the movie is kind of an ode. Actually, most of the movie is, like, an ode to an America that is in decrepitude. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know? And And in a way, I think that's kind of Jimmy Carter's America, right? In a sense, that's like, you know, Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer. He was like a real dude, right? He worked for a living. Ronald Reagan was an actor. He was all about putting on the show and making things seem and making the impossible seem possible, right? Whereas this is about like real people, right? Whatever faults this movie has is supposed to be a very idealized version of real people. But you know, it's like Paulie is like not a likable character. Like he is like very like bad. Yeah. I think Burt Young's actually incredible in this movie and maybe should have won an Oscar, but you know, it, it's about it's about like ugliness in a way, right? But but it's about sort of try try triumphing over that. Anyway, like I think the idea of like this underdog story, I know even though Carter was probably not like an underdog in the '76 election, I think that was part of his appeal. It was like he was a dark horse in the primary, and he kind of came out of nowhere and ended up winning and, and introduced hope back into America, right? For however <laughs> however fleeting it may have been, but he did. Right. So I guess I mean this in the inverse, where. <laughs> If you think of Creed as more of a Reagan type, yeah, um, yeah, is 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 exactly like we say. Is like you know, at one point actually, I, I, during the fight, I want to say like they they like Rocky realizes this is like a show, right? Like he's not supposed to be like fighting like this. And it's like you were saying, a Reagan's like a showman. 
And he has this like perfect vision of America that is completely unrealistic. And that's Creed in this movie. And I don't want to dwell too much on Reagan because this is Carter's episode. <laughs> but uh, I, I well, the other thing about that is, is I feel like this is kind of a backlash movie or it's a movie that feels like like it could generate. I, I wish I could formulate this thought, right? But it's like it's like a white trash guy mm-hmm. who gets beat by like this super patriotic, super awesome black guy. Yeah. And and um, I, I there's some like connecting tissue, and I'm just struggling to place it. Like if it had come out in 2017, I could I could explain it. <laughs> right. But I right. can't quite in you know 76. So he, here's what I think it is: is that it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too a little bit. So first of all, it reminds me of a joke from the show Everybody Hates Chris, where the Chris character says, my dad loved the movie Rocky because it was about a black guy kicking a white guy's ass. But um, what I think it is, so it is, it's like yes and no. It's like, it's very much, I think about like sort of like the white working class perception of themselves in a way. And it, it, it views, and it uses this black character, I think, not as like a, um, as essentially like the system, right? The thing about it is he is the system, he is the insider, Right. And he's an entertainer, whereas these are just kind of like regular people. And I think the idea is that, like, you know, it does romanticize the idea of, like, the white working class person being taken out of obscurity and put into the spotlight, right? And there's yeah. definitely, like, a solipsism where it's, like, because in these communities, like, they don't see the black person being plucked out of obscurity. So they think they're all, they're constantly in the spotlight, right? And I think there's something, you know, it, it, like, if you think of Carter as white working class, he was wealthier than working class. But if you think of him that way... You know, that that that's how I kind of think it is. And it, it, what, what I think is interesting, too, like it doesn't really make Apollo like an outright villain. I don't think he's supposed to be arrogant. He's supposed to be cocky, but he's not like evil. He's running. I mean, like, he's running like charities and stuff in the like. Side exactly. <laughs> and there's the scene, too, where it's like I think it's like when Rocky's at a bar and there's like an early promotion for the fight. And Apollo's like giving like one of his, you know, he's like doing an interview. And he's kind of like hyping himself up. And the bartender's like, that guy's a clown. And Rocky's like, hey, no, he's not. He's the champ. He's the best. Right. Yeah. And it's this idea where it's like, oh, it's like we don't really have to draw everything between black and white lines, I guess. It's like you, you can hold two ideas in your head at the same time. It's like you can romanticize this kind of like very Capra-esque, which is, you know, kind of like by necessary like very white version of america but i guess you can also you know think black people are fine too right there 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 is this kind of like it, it is trying to have it both ways in a way right it, it's trying to work again this sort of like again white working class american myth into a sort of more diverse society but in 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 that way it also positions sort of the white working class as kind of i don't want to say the oppressed but as sort of like the outside right yeah. and i think in a way that's kind of informed a lot of like American and certainly right-wing politics ever since that thought. Um, The second half of thoughts I kind of had on Rocky is, is it's kind of, it's a good movie about like campaigning. There's like a lot of, I I almost feel like this line is repeated like four times, but it's like, why do you want to fight? And he's like, Oh, I can't sing or dance. Mm -hmm. He's like all like funny. And it's like, Oh, you got to be a moron to want to be a fighter. Um, And and they kind of talk about like, you know, the worst day is the like morning after. And I was trying, I was looking at this through the lens of Carter and it's like, you think of this as a movie about like a campaign that's gone wrong because they deal with kind of the same stuff. It's like there's the training, there's the media. How do you interact with the press? How do you like work within your community to get all this done? But then they talk about like this noble loss. Like like you said, Rocky wants to go the distance. That's like kind of his goal and have like a noble loss against Creed, who he knows he can't really beat. And I, I don't know. I, I thought there was a nice uh, there's kind of a wholesome just campaign narrative to the film. 
Um, and who doesn't love that training montage, you know? Oh, yeah. It's it, like that does like live up to the hype. Yeah. yeah. It, it may be the only reason this movie got like two extra stars from me. But yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I just I also I don't know. Any, any, I don't watch boxing like in my free time. But every time I watch a boxing movie, I get like super pumped. Like the fight scenes yeah. like always, even if it's like a movie that I don't think is like that good, but it's still like a boxing movie. I'm like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. Like, yeah, let's get to the fight scenes. And I, I find it good. Yeah, I don't know. And again, it, it is just like a very optimistic idea. But like what, what I think is very interesting, right, is that I feel like and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, you know, you look at sort of like the tumultuous 1960s. Right. And economically, the story, the narrative isn't really economic, right? The narrative is social and sort of like foreign policy, where it's like there's a lot of social unrest because of Vietnam, because of you know civil rights movement, what have you. Seventies, I feel like is there's you certainly still have social unrest, obviously, but it's much more of like a crime and economic story. And I feel yeah. like what's kind of interesting is like, you know, Rocky is in this like pretty like you know crummy like neighborhood in Philadelphia, but he's just so damn optimistic and magnanimous. And it is kind of like, let's harness like the positive social energies of the 60s, even though the country's kind of falling apart around us, right. you know, and like, well, it, we had this sort of sour attitude 10 years ago, even though we were doing OK economically, but now we're doing worse economically, but we're trying to be positive, damn it. It's kind of like I said, it's, it's Capra-esque. It's like a depression sort of stuck in time thing. Yes. No, I think that's a good assessment is, is racism didn't feel like as much of an issue in the 70s i mean to be fair they also like i mean watergate kind of like drained the entire interest in all of that right is the national attention was very focused on something else and then i mean yeah you have three recessions in the 70s including the 1980 recession which obviously carter faced and was like probably a pretty big part of his undoing and you, you just have a very weird economic situation in the united states because of the the increase in oil prices but yes you're right it, it doesn't feel like the 60s <laughs> yeah you think of the 70s as like an economic problem decade and the 60s as like a social problem decade i think that yeah. is a very yeah. good way to put that mm-hmm. right. well done mike thanks yeah yeah any, any other thoughts on rocky i don't think so no i do think it's like worth watching and it, yeah. it's also just funny how it's funny though how this evolves right we think of this as like a, a carter-esque movie Meanwhile, Rocky Four, most definitely a Reagan movie, <laughs> which is the one where he wins the Cold War by beating a Russian boxer. And Stallone, a very Reagan-esque guy. I mean, the yeah. second Rambo movie literally ends with a message saying it is dedicated to the brave fighters of the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Right. Which right. is no longer, I think, in modern copies of the movie for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's literally about, you know, going back to Vietnam. And the irony is that, like, sorry not to interrupt you, but, like, the first Rambo movie is about a, a Vietnam War vet who has PTSD and him violently lashing out at the world. And then it gets <laughs> turned into this sort of, like, redemptive, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, win the Vietnam War. <laughs> like, 20, yeah. 20 years after the fact. Yes. It, I still struggle to comprehend with the fact that Rocky did not, in fact, come out under President Reagan or President Carter. Actually, came out under President Ford. And 1976. I mean, Rocky came out before the film we're about to discuss. It's it. Yeah. It seems like it came out way later than it did. I I don't know. It it seems about right. It, it feels like an 80s movie more than I expected. Is I guess what I mean. Maybe it looks like a 70s movie. Yeah. It looks way worse than the movie we're about to talk about. But I also watched a restored version, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the film I chose was 1977's Star Wars, 
directed by George Lucas and starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher, as well as Alec Guinness and uh, a lot of other people. It tells the story of a princess who has plans to destroy the evil empire's secret battle station, and she puts them on a droid, and the droid goes to a desert planet, and the desert planet has a little has a little desert boy on and the desert boy gets the droids and they get the droids and they go on this mission to go get the death star and they find a jedi and his name is obi-wan anyway they blow up the death star at the end and oh they meet a smuggler his name's hansel he has the ship it's very fast mike this was your first time seeing this movie (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine um yeah you all know what's going on this is star wars it's a very famous movie yes what do you think of this movie on your rewatch mike (laughs) oh i had a blast It, it, it did make me realize how fun this movie is like that that was my my takeaway this time i was like oh this is actually like well two yeah it, like the first is just the, like the opening is very weird like when c3po and r2d2 is like walking around the desert and there's like not like no human like in sight like that whole sequence and then we see c3po get like abducted by the jawas or no r2 we see get abducted by the jawas. they both get abducted at separate well, yeah c3po is calling for help from the jawas Yes, yes. Basically, that whole opening, like, I can only imagine seeing that for the first time, suddenly being like, what the hell is this? Right. Um, but just, like, I don't know, it's just, like, it's such a fun movie. Like, I I feel like the fun can be sucked out of Star Wars with just, like, the discourse surrounding it the past, you know, 20 years or so. Yeah. But, like, like everything that happens from the moment they get sucked in by the tractor beam into the Death Star is just, like, so much fun. And it's just so exciting. I like I I think my favorite part, maybe in like any Star Wars movie, is just the, the time they spend in the Death Star. Like it is just so great and, and just like very exciting. And like their personalities clash. Like the way their personalities clash, I think is just really well done. And like it's, it just looks incredible too. Like it is just like a these are this is like an incredibly crafted movie. It's awesome. Yeah, I think what I realized on this rewatch is just how well the humor holds up. It's just a very there's like some some good lines in there, and I I know a lot of that is just ad libbed from mostly Harrison Ford. Not that Mark Hamill isn't a comedic genius, but he's really not. I don't know, like the humor just it, it holds up. It's a funny movie. Or oh, like, the, 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 the trash compactor scene when they're all in there and they're like three PO, <laughs> turn off the trash compactor on detention level or whatever, yeah. and three PO and they like. R2 finally like turns it off and they're they're all like screaming like they're like yeah yeah 3PO's hearing he's like oh my god they're dying (laughs) I lose it every time it's so funny and then also like earlier when they do the whole go they have like Chewbacca in chains and then they end up they end up killing like the two stormtroopers and like they get like the radio message like oh what's going on there he goes oh and he goes and like trying to figure out he goes What's uh? How are you doing, right? Yeah, on, yeah. On, on the on the radio, and, he, and, he, and, and, and he shoots the radio and goes boring conversation anyway. Yeah, good stuff. I feel like the next. I feel like every other Star Wars movie is not as funny, at least not intentionally. No, uh, the next one's better, but this one's definitely the funniest. Yeah. <laughs> Come get me, Phantom Menace truthers. <laughs> but but it, so I so to, to 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 pivot towards harder now. Like one thing that did stand out to me watching was like <laughs> the conversations in the Death Star where they're like the Senate's being very tricky. Right. <laughs> it just felt like it felt it just felt I could definitely see Knights of me like ah oh, this guy reminds me of like Richard Nixon like I could <laughs> definitely like if like like Vader as Nixon I think it kind of works. Um, <laughs> There's a lot to unpack if we really go into that metaphor, but yeah. 
yeah, uh, yeah I, I do like the uh i mean it just feels so comical knowing what we know about how star wars evolved over time but i do like that like throwaway line it's like how are they going to do anything without the senate and then they're like oh the emperor just dissolved the senate yesterday <laughs> they're like oh okay yeah <laughs> cool yeah. Yeah. Like, why did he wait 20 years? That's my question. It probably to, to give the air of 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 respectability, right? Yeah. Yeah. So to pivot to Carter, so I, I picked this movie both because I love it, but we don't have a lot of time for Carter. We only have you know a, a few years to really look at movies. And here's a movie about a farm boy outsider with like a bright and naive idealism. I, I really couldn't help myself. Not that I really wanted to. That's where I started with this. <laughs> That's why I picked it for Carter. But I also think, I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got kind of three sides fighting the evil empire in this, right? You've got that farm boy outsider with the idealism. You've got a, like, an avowed, like, feminist, like a politician who's like a woman. Um, And then you have, like, a a scoundrel, a criminal, uh, kind of someone who's a little down on his luck. It's like, tell me that isn't a democratic coalition right there. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you can maybe, like make an argument where it's like, yeah, the rebellion is supposed to be the counterculture or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that they, they argue a lot also very much right. like the democratic coalition. Right. Yeah. They are only motivated by uh, who they're against. They don't actually have a ton in common. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it works. Well, you know, again, I, I think you could also argue that that was kind of Carter's coalition too. Right. I think in a lot of ways it was a, well, you know, shoot, like Nixon and Ford, like really just Nixon, like, you know, they, they've they kind of become evil. But, you know, who cares, you know, who he is? As long as he's on the other side, you know, I'm going to vote for him, right? right? I mean, it's notable that this is, you know, after the Democrats run perhaps the most left-wing presidential candidate ever, maybe since like William Jennings Bryan, they run George McGovern. And he gets absolutely destroyed and only wins Massachusetts that four years later, it is then becomes the last time that Texas ever goes blue in a presidential election. Right. And you have it. it, It's really like the last hurrah for this New Deal coalition of southern states and and sort of like northern liberals. And, you know, maybe that's what the rebellion is supposed to be. I don't know. It's a little bit of a stretch, but (laughs) I'm running with it. No, no, I I get that. I I think the message is still I think it's timely and i think it's just obvious uh, the empire i mean they're clearly like fascists right they're all the same <laughs> they're all british guys <laughs> but, but but you know they're all the same and it, it, it takes different people of all different stripes to i mean you could apply this to the modern day i mean just demographically the republican party is a lot more in common with the empire than they do <laughs> with the rebellion and vice versa you know well and you know i think it, and again i i I think it's telling that like we keep talking about Reagan when we're trying to talk about Carter because I feel like Reagan has really overshadowed Carter in like every respect. But yeah. it's like who else tried to build giant space lasers? <laughs> right. Ronald Reagan, right? You know, it's like it, it's you know what you could very much view the empire as like the military industrial complex. Yes, absolutely. And at the be- yes, at the beginning of the movie, <laughs> sorry, I'm very excited about this because people often forget this is a line. Luke Skywalker, Mar- who's played by Mark Hamill, by the way, <laughs> he he's talking about he he wants to leave his farm to join the Empire. He wants to be a troop, right? He he wants to like yeah. get his education with the Empire, not because he likes the Empire. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't like the Empire. I hate it. He's telling Obi Obi Wan, Ben Kenobi. <laughs> Ben Kenobi that he's like, oh, I, I hate it. But like, oh, well, what are you going to do? It feels very, uh, feels very American in a way. It's like, I have no other option. So I'm going to join the military. 
Yeah. Jimmy Especially Carter what, was a Navy veteran. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels very post-Vietnam military, actually. Once we abolish the draft. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a sigh. And I mention this every time. But it, it, the whole Ben Kenobi thing really cracks me up. <laughs> it's like... God, this message is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I wonder if that means Ben Kenobi, the only other guy I know on this planet. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it could be, Luke. <laughs> That's using your head. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Kenobi is like Smith in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yes. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I don't know. I, I, talking about Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan's charge to Luke, you know, is like, don't be like your uncle. Your uncle doesn't want you to be like your dad, Well, which I guess now we know why, but... But he's like, you know, he didn't want you to go on this, like, foolish, idealistic crusade. And, like, and Luke's like, oh, it's such a long way from here. <laughs> like, it, there is, like, a there's, like, a public service message. And I see Carter as the last president until Obama to be, like, a big public service kind of president. So I, I think being, like, part of the government and being, like, a bureaucrat, like, meant something. Like, Carter... That feels like a Carter thing to do. It's like you're serving a better cause. You're serving your nation. Uh, and I think that's only rivaled by Obama recently, actually. Yeah, I, I, I think there is. Um, he, he does feel like the last. That's not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country guy. Right. Yeah. Because I think, you know, Reagan was definitely not that guy, which is not to say that he poo-pooed public service so much as that he was like, no, we have to make sure people shouldn't be obliged to basically <laughs> for the government, I think right. was kind of the prevailing thought. And. I think, you know, Clinton maybe tried to square that, too. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I think. But, but no, I, I think I think you're right. I, I, yes, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, like, you know, and it's, you know, Obama was literally like a, you know, literally a community organizer, as they say. Yeah. But I also kind of like the 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 backlash to that when they get in the cantina and the guy's just like, he doesn't like you. I don't yeah. like you either. <laughs> it's like, that feels very I, like. But it's interesting, right? Happening to me in a bar? I don't know. (laughs) Right? But think about that in parallel with the Easy Rider scene, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, When they go into the diner in, like, Louisiana, you know, it's different. Instead of riding a motorcycle, they ride a land speeder. Um, (laughs) Instead of being hippies. I mean, like, Luke does have long hair, but so does everybody else in the Star Wars universe. So it doesn't really matter. But. What, 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 Luke and Jimmy Carter are very similar hair. It's very confusing. I think it's just a 70s thing. What, yeah. the, the, the very underrated thing about the Star Wars universe is that now, when they even make movies now, it all has to have this very 70s aesthetic where it's like, they, like you know, they're like flight suits are still burnt orange. Right. And, like, their targeting computers look like, you know, like crummy, like, 70s graphics. Yeah. Anything else on Star Wars, Mike? No, I don't think so. I have like one more thing, which is going to leak a little into Reagan. But I, but I kind of think the Star Wars trilogy in general is kind of a good allegory for this period, the Carter through Reagan period. The Empire Strikes Back feels like a very Reagan movie. If we're taking the Emperor, the Empire to mean Republicans <laughs> in our metaphor, you know, I mean, you know, it's like you, you kind of have this optimistic moment that then just gets like. It's very hard for an incumbent president to lose re-election. It was, mm-hmm. it is, it's like very hard. And Carter did it. He defeated an incumbent president. And then he became one who was defeated. That's like crazy. Well, it, well and what's also crazy is thinking about it. Reagan was the first president to serve a complete two terms since Eisenhower. Yeah. That's insane. Like, yeah. that's absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I just think the trilogy is a good, like... 
you can follow this lens of like optimism met with like an extreme backlash that like destroys you to like, hey, maybe we can eke out a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the Star Wars trilogy, folks. You should check <laughs> it out if you uh, have not seen it. <laughs> you only have to watch the first three. <laughs> so what can we say about films in the Carter era, Mike? What uh, what connects these? I think a, a sense of optimism, perhaps an unearned sense of optimism, especially in the context of a decaying society and chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and just like a, a sort of like a, an attempt to reclaim this sort of like, you know, white working class, specifically white working class and very like rural American myth. Right. This idea of sort of like this, this almost like Jefferson-esque yeoman farmer idea that the yeoman farmer will be the agent of change and progress in America. Yeah, that's that's well put. Yeah, I, I think there is something to be said that both of these films, I mean, one of them is like an epic. Star Wars is obviously like a, I mean, it's a, a pretty big film. I, I think it's interesting that it came out in this period of like economic tumult and kind of the same with Rocky, though. I guess we kind of unpacked that with Rocky is if we're kind of going in this theme that, yes, Carter was president, but most of the things that happened weren't really anything to do with him. Um, <laughs> I, I see these films more so as a reaction to the time than i do the president in that regard. yeah yeah i think so and i i i do wonder if that'll be a bit more of like a trend go forward well i think i actually think this is the turning point for that and this is also the halfway at the end of this episode we will be halfway done with this series it was like i feel like all of the presidents up to now it's hard to definitively say like oh this film is kind of about them and starting with reagan like it starts to be very clear that these films are like about presidents you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. All right. And that is our show. As always, Mike and I both hoped you enjoyed it. And you can drop us a line on social media or on thepostwriter.com to let us know any movie suggestions you've got or just if you think we're cool. You can reach out to us at contact at thepostwriter.com or on Twitter or on Facebook. In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Amara Mike. You can find me on Letterboxd. <laughs> No, my God, I'm Mike Levito. <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd, Adam Aaron Mike, on Twitter, Adam Levito, and my byline at The Post Writer. There you go. Watching Mates is a Post Writer podcast brought to you by ThePostWriter.com. You can like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found. And, of course, you can follow us both and all of our pals on ThePostWriter.com. And we will see you next time to discuss the films of the Reagan era. <laughs>